Night Dog, walking you to the ballot box. 12 minutes after 10 o'clock, the last couple of days has seen bloody military battle and violence, airstrikes, ground strikes, as well as kidnappings and abductions taking place between uh, Hamas and the Israeli Defense Force in the region, in the area of uh, Gaza in particular. The Israeli Defense Force striking the Israeli government, my apologies, Hamas striking the Israeli government in its capital, Jerusalem, which in its ideation of statehood, Hamas that is, also seeks to claim Jerusalem as its capital. Naeem Jina, who is a senior researcher at the Mapungubwe Institute, uh, joins me for this. Naeem, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Welcome to Night Talk. Good evening. Thanks, Oliver. Look, we're going to ask a bunch of rudimentary questions to get the facts right on this. And once we have that, we'll then go into the detail of the normative conversation where we are evaluating the value judgments around some of the actions of some of the organizations involved here. But let's start here. Who and what is Hamas? So Hamas is a, um, a Palestinian resistance organization and political party. It has two, those two parts to it. Um, the political party won the Palestinian elections in 2006, but has never really been allowed to uh, to, to govern the Palestinian Authority. It was formed in the late 80s um, as one of the many Palestinian organizations to struggle for Palestinian self-determination and against the Israeli occupation. Um, in the recent past, it has been perhaps the strongest of the armed factions uh, within the Palestinian uh, resistance movement in general. It's ideologically, it's um, kind of um, Islamist organization. Um, in the Palestinian context, uh, there are few organizations that we might regard as Islamist. The politics is inspired by um, by Islam or the understanding of Islam, um, a few that are Marxist or communist, and a few that are nationalist. Uh, those three kind of uh, main uh, tendencies, and Hamas is one of the Islamist ones. Yeah. You mentioned that Hamas had won the uh, Palestinian election in 2016. Uh, can we just go back to that? Talk to me about the Palestinian election. Given that there is no Palestinian state, what election are we talking about? Who votes and where do they vote? Is it merely in Gaza or do all Palestinians um, in, in Israeli or at least Israeli-controlled territories, that is to say, or Israeli-occupied territories, Gaza and West Bank alike, um, or Gulam included in that, do they all get to vote in this or is it merely just the two million people of Gaza? Yeah, I, I, I like the way you phrase the question because I agree that there's no Palestinian state. Um, you know, statehood uh, implies sovereignty and all of those kinds of things. Uh, the election was in 2006. Um, so that's uh, what, uh, um, 14, 17 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was one that was conducted in Gaza, in the West Bank, including uh, East Jerusalem. So uh, Palestinians in all of those areas voted, and um, and Hamas won the largest number of seats, and therefore was uh, or should have been able uh, to form a government. The government in in quotes because it's not a real state, um, and. Um, uh, and and its leader Ismail Haniyeh was supposed to have been the the so-called prime minister of that government. 
um, that was in a sense prevented from happening by the uh, by 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 Fatah, the other faction which had the support of uh, of the Israelis and Americans in that regard. Yeah, let's talk about Fatah because they're an interesting uh, stakeholder in this as well. They formed a government of unity, or at least attempted to do so, uh, with 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 Hamas uh, in its resistance against Israel Israeli occupation. Uh, but that relationship didn't last particularly long. Well, it was Hamas that tried to form the. They had the, they had the majority of the seats, so they tried to form the the uh, uh, government of national unity with with Fatah. Fatah wasn't particularly interested. Um, Fatah faction in Gaza at the time, around 2006-2007, in co- collaboration with the CIA, wanted to actually overthrow um, Hamas, and that's when the kind of big split happened, uh, when Hamas discovered the plot and acted pre- preemptively against the um, um, Mohammed Dahlan faction in, in Gaza, uh, and then took control of Gaza, and that kind of split the West Bank from uh, from uh, Gaza. Um, so that relationship, if you like, kind of ended in 2007, and since then, uh, the two have been operating separately. The West Bank and, and Gaza have been operating separately. Um, Gaza, uh, ostensibly under the control of Hamas, I say ostensibly because 2007 was also the beginning of the Israeli siege on Gaza, which means that Israel, the occupying power, um, is really fully in control of the of the territory. Um, so uh, uh, Gaza ostensibly under the control of, of Hamas and the West Bank ostensibly under the control of the Palestinian Authority, um, headed by Fatah. Yeah. What separates Fatah and, 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 and Hamas, uh, ideologically that is? Uh, Fatah describes itself as a democratic party, ostensibly believing in a form of statehood that is not necessarily uh, uh, fashioned in, is in, in Islam, um, but that coexists alongside, uh, Jew, where, at least in their imagination, where, where, where Jews and, uh, and uh, Islamic Arabs can live side by side uh, in, in, in all territories of the country. But Fatah also believes that uh, it, 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 it must also have a claim to Jerusalem as its capital, or at least the capital um, of, 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 of Palestinian people. That seems to be a similarity between Hamas and Fatah. But what separates them? Um, so a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, ideologically, secondly, in terms of the ultimate vision, and thirdly, in terms of the strategy. Um, ideologically, uh, Fatah is a nationalist organization that uh, attempts to kind of include different uh, strands within it, but it's essentially Palestinian nationalist, while Hamas is, um, as I said earlier, kind of uh, Islamist inspired by um, Islam or it, its politics inspired by an, an understanding of Islam. In terms of its uh, vision for Palestine, both, I should say, are actually nationalist in that they're not transnational. They both operate within the Palestinian context and believe that their agenda is uh, within that context and not beyond it, um, unlike you know some uh, transnational group. Um, in terms of the vision uh, for the future, um, Fatah is, uh, supports a two-state solution uh, with, as you said, uh, with, uh, with its capital in East Jerusalem, 
a Palestinian state with its capital in East Jerusalem, a two-state solution where a Palestinian state will be along the borders, uh, the so-called 1967 borders. That yeah. After the 1967 war, um, the, the, uh, the areas that uh, Israel occupied thereafter. Um, in the case of Hamas, they talk about, um, actually, it, it, to be fair, uh, Hamas has a kind of bit of mixed signal about what exactly it wants in terms of its future. Um, it talks about, uh, alternately, uh, an Islamic state. Uh, it talks about a single democratic state. Um, and one is not entirely clear about which one uh, they, they are about. But uh, they seem to be very uncomfortable yeah. with the kind of two-state solution. And then in terms of the broad strategy, the Fatah strategy now, officially, and I say officially because there are factions within Fatah that are involved in the armed struggle, even in, in the current context. Uh, officially, the Fatah position is that uh, their objectives will be obtained through negotiations. Um, and the uh, Hamas position is that the primary uh, part of their strategy is armed struggle or the resistance. Yeah, I, I want us to get into the modalities of, of a two-state solution and, and, and what each of them, at least also inclusive of the Israeli state, imagine it to be. And we'll go back to that United Nations resolution. Give me a call, 86 2032 I'm taking your reactions. Let's take a break. Night Dog, walking you to the ballot box. Look, the history matters, so do the facts, and we'll get to the history and the facts first so that we can have an understanding of where it all comes from before we really try to make sense of the violence, the military airstrikes, and I like that we saw over the weekend in Israel and in Gaza. My name is Oliver Dixon. You're listening to Night Talk. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I'm taking your reactions to this conversation. Give me a call, 86 if you want to send me a WhatsApp voice note, that number is 614 I'm in conversation with Naeem Jina, who is a senior researcher at the Mapungubwe Institute. Naeem, uh, I want to take it here now. Let's talk about the two-state solution. Uh, you know, Fatah, of course, believes in the two-state solution, as you said, and that's what they're advocating for. Um, while Hamas, it's unclear whether that is truly what they're going for. Um, but none of that matters if Israel doesn't buy into the idea of a two-state solution. Israel seems to be under the impression, it's, as they repeatedly say, that there's already a two-state in that Hamas is ruling over Gaza, so to speak, and therefore Gaza should be seen as an independent state. And similarly, uh, you know, it, it, it is the government of the day there for, for Gaza and, and the West Bank, despite the fact that it's not a government. It controls absolutely nothing. Israel con controls the flow of resources, controls the airspace, quite literally controls the airspace, controls communication, healthcare, and everything else that you would imagine a government to do but doesn't see itself, Israel that is, as the state, as the government of, um, of, of, of Gaza. But so Israel doesn't really seem to think that it is in opposition to a two-state solution, at least not the, 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 the self-determination that, that they claim to be happening in, 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 in Gaza, which in true sense 
is not happening, given that it's a densely populated area that continuously lives under airstrikes that precipitate a lot of the violence that we see, and in some part, perhaps, the, the violence of this weekend, and we'll get to that in a very short while. But to this now, what does a two-state solution in practice actually look like? There seems to be a different conceptualization about it, depending on who you speak to in the world and in the region. But what are we speaking about when we say a two-state solution? So, firstly, in, um, what the UN defines as the OPT, the Occupied Palestinian Territory, uh, would be Gaza with, it, with its um, two and a half million uh, population, the West Bank, uh, including East Jerusalem, East Jerusalem uh, and the international law is part of the West Bank, um, and, and the West Bank with about three and a half million uh, people. That together is the uh, Occupied Palestinian Territory. When, when we talk about uh, a two-state solution in terms of UN resolutions, it would be a state that includes those areas. So it would be Gaza, um, the, the West Bank, which includes East Jerusalem, as well as includes the Golan Heights. Uh, sorry, it uh, doesn't include the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights is part of Syria. So it's, it's the West Bank and, uh, and East Jerusalem and Gaza would be the, the Palestinian state. Um, in terms of uh, UN resolution, the Israeli view the, that or the, what Israel has been giving lip service to until um, just under a decade ago was two-state solution. Um, however, they had a whole range of kind of uh, qualifiers, and, and particularly Netanyahu, uh, and those qualifiers included things like. That um, that the Palestinian state should not be allowed to have an army. It would have a police force that was determined by Israel. It would not have control over its uh, own borders. That would be done by Israel, etc., etc. Um, which basically means that it's. Um, however, over the past just under a decade, um, Israel has stopped talking about a two-state solution and and doesn't even pay that lip, lip service anymore. In fact. The reality, from an Israeli point of view, um, is that they want a one state, and they have a one state, um, a state from the from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River, the entirety of which is controlled um, by Israel as the governing authority, but uh, in, in in a way that different parts of that state are controlled in a different way. So, in the part of it that is called Israel. Um, there is a, um, a kind of a democracy where there are different levels of citizenship. Uh, if you're Jewish, you have a particular level of citizenship. If you're non-Jewish, you have another level of citizenship. This is within Israel. Um, in, the, in, in, in Jerusalem, um, if you're Jewish, you're a citizen of Israel. If you're not Jewish, then you are simply a resident who, if you leave the territory for three years, can lose your residency. You have no citizenship. If you live in the West Bank uh, uh, or in Gaza, then you are uh, in the West Bank uh, under clear military occupation, um, and that's how you should live. Uh, unless you live in a Jewish settlement, then you are part of Israel. If you live in Gaza, then you live under a different kind of military occupation, um, which for the past 17 years has been a, um, a, a siege, um, but you're still under Israeli control. So. All, uh, all people between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea 
are and should always be um, under the Israeli position, uh, under Israeli control, whether you give them certain powers uh, or not. I mean, so the West Bank essentially, and I one would say Gaza as well, um, essentially are like South African Bantustans of the old. Yeah. Um, they're given the guise of being um, uh, of being independent or sovereign or whatever, but they're constantly subject to the the greater powers' control. Um, I mean, in the West Bank, uh, the Israeli army decides where it goes, when it goes, who it arrests, etc. Um, essentially, the West Bank is is run by a um, by a kind of military governor, if you like. Um, and so, um, so what you have is a single state, uh, again, similar to apartheid South Africa, a single state where certain parts of that state are, are controlled in different ways. Um, and that's what you have there. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's then get to this weekend. Uh, Hamas is often described by the USA, quite literally, they're classified by the USA as such and described by Israel uh, as, as a... a uh, terrorist organization. Yeah, of no course. Way. Sorry. Can you hear me, Naeem? Naeem? It seems like Naeem can't, can't hear me. Uh, let's see if we can get Naeem on a different line, perhaps. Uh, reconnect him to the line so that we can so that we can have a clear connection. Uh, the next part of this conversation is critically important because it speaks to what happened, what's happening right now as we speak in Israel and in uh, Gaza. It's 30 minutes after 10 o'clock. Let's take a quick break. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. 31 minutes after 10 o'clock, I'm in conversation uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, very specifically uh, the conflict uh, in this instance pertaining very specifically to uh, Hamas in Gaza. What's going on? What brought about uh, the military operations of this weekend? And helping me understand, this is Naeem Gina, Senior Researcher at the Mapungubwe Institute. Naeem, we have you back on the line. Appreciate uh, uh, you staying with us and, and, and helping us fix that line. To, uh, I, I, I want to move the conversation to this part, and, and, and it really is about understanding uh, the continuous over the years, because remember there's a war in 2014, 2016, um, and, and, and as far back, of course, as the, as the early 2000s, and we have the war taking place now. Um, the United States of America and many, many, many other uh, uh, allies to Israel have classified Hamas as a terrorist organization. Similarly, the Israeli government describes Hamas as a terrorist organization. Israeli government sees Hamas as a threat on its own safety and security. Is Hamas a terrorist organization? Um, the United States thinks so. Uh, Israel thinks so. I think most Palestinians, uh, all, almost all Palestinians, would agree that it is a resistance movement, whether they might like its ideology or its uh, strategy uh, or not, um, that it's a resistance movement. It's one of the Palestinian factions. Um, under international law, of course, um, uh, people that are fighting against an occupation of their land uh, number one. Number two, people who are fighting for self-determination against a colonial power in both those cases have the right to resist um, and resist by whatever means is necessary to do so, including armed struggle. Um, so the fact that they use an armed struggle doesn't make them a terrorist organization. Um, 
uh, it, it, it makes them, um, they would say a liberation movement or a resistance movement or whatever, but they're part of the, of the Palestinian political and resistance fabric. Yeah. Who resources uh, Hamas, specifically given that uh, there's nothing they can do, at least we've seemed to have thought all along, that there's nothing they can do uh, in the occupied territories uh, without uh, the sight of the Israeli government because all forms of communication uh, is intercepted, um, all forms of activity is monitored, uh, the flow of resources uh, is entirely controlled by the Israeli government. It comes as a surprise to me that Hamas was able to get a hold of rockets. Where would they have gotten it from? Hezbollah? Hmm. So uh, in, initially when Hamas started, it was resourced and it was funded by mostly Palestinians uh, living in the diaspora. Um, that later, particularly when it undertook an armed struggle, that changed somewhat. And uh, they, for a while, got a lot of support uh, from Iran in terms of developing their, their weapons, etc. Um, in the recent past, that Iranian support um, had decreased considerably. Um, after uh, a fallout between Hamas and Iran over over Syria. Uh, um, Hamas didn't support Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Uh, Iran did, of course, and, and there was a fallout there. Um, the, the rockets uh, and weaponry that we're seeing uh, being fired from, uh, from Gaza this time around, as well as in 2014, um, the vast majority of it is essentially, I mean, um, they, they would say homemade. It's a bit of a strange term to use. Uh, let me say it's engineered in Gaza, um, based on on designs of other rockets. Some of them uh, uh, Iranian rockets that they formerly had, um, and some of their own ingenuity. But to a large extent, most of those uh, rockets that have been flying from Saturday um, are manufactured, designed, and manufactured in Gaza. The violence of the weekend was initiated by Hamas. Was that wise to do, given, however noble the ideology may be as a resistance movement, Hamas can never in reality match the resources of the Israeli Defense Force. And the people of Gaza are now facing retaliatory airstrikes or retaliatory military action from the Israeli Defense Force. Given how densely populated it is, we can expect thousands of civilians to easily die. More importantly, the Israeli Defense Force and the Israeli government has nuclear uh, uh, weaponry and has other forms of sophisticated uh, arsenal, uh, weapons in their arsenal. To that, Gaza can, uh, Hamas can never really match that in reality. Where does this weekend leave us? Um, you're absolutely correct in terms of uh, matching the, the the armed forces. Um, but let, let me say, I mean, firstly, on a matter of, of principle, of course, as I said, under international law, they have the right to do so. So your question is more in terms of strategy and, and tactic, whether it's a smart thing to do. Um, that is a very important question, I think, particularly in the light of the fact that uh, Gaza is one of the most densely populated places in the world today. Um, so why would they undertake such an operation and, um, in, in a sense, endanger the lives of, of, of people in Gaza? 
two things I want to suggest. One is that I I believe, so right up to Saturday, every engagement between the resistance in, in, uh, in Gaza, because not, it's not just Hamas, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the Popular Front, which is a Marxist organization, even elements of Fatah, which are nationalists, right until Friday night, every engagement between them and Israel was kind of from the Gaza side um, defenses. Um, they responded, it was self-defense, etc. Um, Saturday we saw, as you said, something completely new. They took the offensive, they took the initiative, and they invaded onto Israeli territory. Um, so, so, you know, the, the question then that, that you're raising about, uh, about the tactic and, and, and strategy, clearly from their calculation, um, this was obviously worth the effort. I think that um, from their calculation, the events of the weekend were possibly the first phase in a uh, potentially multi-phase kind of campaign. Um, a multi multiple-phase uh, campaign where the next phase could be um, an uprising in uh, in the West Bank, um, where there are now different armed groups that um, uh, might or might not be linked to Hamas, some are, some aren't, um, and and have become a problem for the Israelis over the past couple of years. Um, and then the, the potential of a third phase where you have the entry of Hezbollah from the north. Um, if Saturday morning is anything to go by and the unpreparedness, in a sense, uh, of the Israeli intelligence and Israeli military, um, the calculation would be that uh, this could make a huge dent. If, if you had these three fronts opening up, could make a huge dent uh, against the Israeli war machine. Yeah. On the question of, of whether it's worth it, um, I mean, on, on this issue, we should, I guess, listen to people in Gaza. And, um, you know, if we look at interviews of, of residents, just ordinary residents on Gaza who are talking about how they fear the night because every night the bombings uh, increase, but nevertheless, they support the resistance because having lived for eight decades, under the Israeli jackboot and the theft of land and torture and all of that, they're basically saying that they, they're willing to pay the price for their liberation. Yeah, so, to, and, and I think this part of the conversation is critically important. You and I, Naeem, can perhaps agree that the, uh, Net Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli uh, Defense Force and Israeli government is guilty of war crimes over the last, I don't know, let's say over the last 60 years. Perhaps more technically, over the last fifty years, if we're taking, if we're speaking specifically about Gaza after uh, the Green Line was drawn, um, they're clearly guilty of war crimes. And those are not my words; those are the words of Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International. The same can be said, Amnesty International says, however, of Hamas. They too engage in conflict that are tantamount in ways that are tantamount to war crimes. For instance, Hamas, much like the Israeli Defense Force, attacks civilians. They abduct civilians and they hold hostage civilians. They attack critical infrastructure like hospitals, religious institutions that they desecrate, as well as women and children. It's done on both sides, Amnesty International tells us. So while in noble terms, 
Hamas may be a resistance movement and are fighting for liberation, they do so while committing human rights crimes against humanity, or war crimes very specifically, war crimes. We are quite clear, uh, international law and the Geneva Convention are quite clear, bombing and shelling a hospital is not it, it's not okay. That's, that's unacceptable under, under any terms of war. What is the international community now, or at least those that the Palestinians are asking solidarity from, to make of the actions of Hamas? So I, I agree with you. Um, in, in terms of the international community, I mean, let, let's, let's be clear also that uh, the major part of the international community in terms of uh, political leadership is on the Israeli side. Um, the United States has uh, pledged uh, another $8 billion uh, in military aid to Israel. Israel gets about $3.5 billion every year anyway, um, as well as sending its, uh, um, a few of its uh, naval ships to the eastern Mediterranean to, to bolster Israel. Um, similarly, you have similar kind of gestures from, the, from Britain, from various European states, etc., so the uh, a big part of the international community in terms of states are saying that they support Israel despite knowing all of what you just said uh, about Israel, despite uh, having voted for UN resolutions that Israel violates um, regularly and with uh, complete impunity. So you have that on, on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, uh, the, those who uh, support, and you know, here we're talking more about kind of populations of people than states, but those who support uh, the, the, the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian struggle um, would, would point to kind of, as you call it, the, the noble struggle against colonialism, uh, against uh, occupation, against apartheid, um, the noble struggle for self-determination of the Palestinian people and for liberation, etc. Um, none of that, of course, uh, diverts from the fact that we have international law which says that certain things are war crimes, that certain things are crimes against humanity. Um, there have been findings, the Goldstone Commission, for example, uh, found Israel guilty of, uh, of, of war crimes and crimes against humanity, as well as at that time uh, found that, um, that Hamas might be as well. Um, I, I think that, that all of those uh, accusations should be tested in court and those who might be responsible for war crimes and uh, crimes against humanity need to, um, need to be held accountable. Um, you know, I, I could say, as many people do, that in, um, in liberation struggles, mistakes are made, lines are crossed. Uh, certainly we had that in, in the South African case. All of that might be true, but uh, whether they are mistakes, whether they are accidents, whatever the case might be, there must be accountability for all, um, all crimes against uh, humanity. Um, uh, if if there are hospitals that are bombed by whichever side, that needs to be uh, that, that they need to be made accountable. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly, but of course, in terms of scale, um, you know the 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 attacks of Israel on Gaza, and you know now this, of course, and I'm not just saying you, but in general, this issue is now um, coming to debated 
because of the Gaza resistance attack uh, that um, that included civilians in southern Israel. Um, for all of these years, since, since 2008, when there's been regular every two-year attacks on, on Gaza by Israel, um, the same has not been raised in the same kind of way. People have not been saying that Israel has been bombing churches and uh, mosques um, and hospitals and schools. Israel always says, of course, well, uh, this school had uh, Hamas people in it, or uh, this hospital was used as a base, um, and therefore it's uh, you know open season on residential buildings. Palestine Tower, huge residential building, was bombed uh, on Sunday, and they said, well, there was a Hamas office in it, and so we can bomb the whole building. Um, you know, commentators don't generally question uh, that, but when the resistance movement on the other side does, and I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying when the resistance, I'm saying there's a double standard, when the resistance movement from the other side does it, then yeah. it becomes a, a matter of debate, and I think that that is a problem. Yeah. Naeem, we're going to have to leave it there. I really appreciate your time this evening so much. Naeem Jina is a senior researcher at the Mapungubwe Institute.